everyone. Welcome, Faith Promise. How are we doing this weekend? Man, that's some rocking happening in worship. And man, we are thrilled. Want to welcome you from whatever campus that you're worshiping with us, all the way out in Campbell County or Anderson or North Knoxville or Blount County campus, our internet campus or Pellissippi campus. We are thrilled that you're with us. And as you saw in the video, we're launching a new series called Man Versus Woman. And there's not a season on that, by the way, that's been happening from the Garden of Eden until we get to heaven. And so we're going to dive into that. We have two more uh, small group lessons on Let Hope In. I hope you don't miss those. Guys, if you missed Friday night, it rocked, it cooked. The Cowboys of Blount County, amen, it was great. The Cowboys of Blount County did 500 pounds of barbecue and it didn't make it. Now, if there had been 500 pounds of barbecue for those ladies, there'd still be 200 pounds left, and we'd eat it for leftovers, but there was none. And so it was great. God moved in a great way, excited. Now, we're going to do three weeks of, of the series of Man versus Woman, and then we move into four weeks of Heart for the Harvest. Heart for the Harvest began as a free will offering. We don't do any more capital campaigns where people pledge and all that for two or three years. We do one free will offering a year, and it started when we built the balcony of our previous, you know, several expansions ago at the Pellissippi campus, and God began to move, and then we were praying for miracles, so I said, while we're praying for financial miracles, let's just pray for other miracles, for healings, for salvation, for prodigals. So we call it the month of miracles, and so that'll begin in, in uh, three weekends, and then we'll have that for four weeks. We'll be praying for miracles every weekend. So seven weeks from this is our Heart for the Harvest offering. It is because we have a heart for the harvest of God for souls. It's how we expand our campuses. It's how we uh, do things we need to do in buildings, some of the compassion, some of the orphanages we support, and some of the other things, the pool that we're doing in the inner city Knoxville and, and some of the other stuff. And sometimes we use it for dead and uh, but it's about expansion. So that's coming. I hope you guys are setting aside. Michelle and I have been setting aside for months for that. And we've got a, on my, on my uh, table in my bedroom, I've got a, some money. And I just keep putting money in there. And every time God does something, I put more money. And, and so, man, I'm praying it just multiplies a hundredfold harvest. And we all do that. And we're able to fund the things that God wants us to do. Amen? Amen. Now, we're going to start this series in reverse order because it's, it's usually ladies first, right? But, but, but since we had a men's night Friday night, and since we were talking about Samson, I thought we'd roll into that. So we're going to talk about men this weekend. Next weekend, we're going to talk about why men and women have this, this uh, problem. Why we don't understand each other. Well, actually, women understand men, but men don't get women because men are simple and women or not. So we're going to talk about that next weekend and how God designed us. And then we're going to finish with a message about the ladies. And guys, hopefully we'll understand after that. We'll know what's going on. So that's, so that's happening. Now, when God designed men, and God designed men first in his creation, he designed man. He made the man to be a protector. He made the man to be a provider. He told the man to subdue creation and he created in man the heart of a warrior. Would you guys agree with that? Yeah. Would y'all agree with that? Come on, everybody, all of our campuses, absolutely. And so that's what he designed us to be. But now we live in a culture. We live in a culture that's anti-Christ. Would y'all agree with that? Yeah. It's the culture we live in. 
And the culture is now blurring the lines of what a man is supposed to do, what a lady is supposed to do. It's blurring the lines of sort of how God designed us. Our culture basically says there's no difference between men and women, and that is crazy, but that's what they say. And so we're supposed to act alike, do alike, walk like, talk like, and it's just not ever going to work because we're not the same, are we? See, God uniquely designed us, put us together, and we're better together. But he gave, us, so he gave guys gifts, and he gave the ladies gifts, and then when we come together, we're better as a team. We're better. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it, it's just how God wired us. Now, there's some good things as the culture has come around and some things that have helped ladies, but, but I, let me tell you one of the greatest things that, that I hate that our current culture has done. Because it's tried to equate women and men, we've lost the culture of honoring women. See, when I was a kid, remember Matt and Festus? Now, the young folks are saying, is that Matt? Who is that? Matt Damon? Who, who is that? No, that's Marshall Dillon. Gun smoke. Y'all remember that? Come on, that's back when TV was godly. And so it was, but, but let me tell you what, what Marshall Dillon and Festus did. They always tipped their hat to the ladies. They always open the door for the ladies. You know, I was taught if you see a lady, she's carrying something, you take it out of her hand and you carry it for her. Your man is never to hit a woman. You are to treat women, they're to be treated with dignity and honor. The culture taught that, school taught that. You know, my, I was taught that in my home. And so I, I hate that we've, we've lost that, haven't we? I mean, we've lost that. You know, if you've got a little girl and you're thinking that some guy, and all the words that are in my head, I can't say. I used to say them, and now we're bigger, and people say you're supposed to be dignified, but that next peckerhead that comes to pick up your daughter, that's it. Did it come out loud, Ron? I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Now, now this is a deal. Listen, listen. This is a deal. Now, listen, I tell my daughter, listen, because I started dating my daughter when she was young, and I would open the car door for her, and I would pull her chair out. You know what I'm talking about? And I would say, if a guy doesn't treat you like this, then he's, he put him to the curb. If you tell your daughter to wait by the door until a guy today is going to open it, he's driving off and leaving her on the side of the road. It's because we're, we're not teaching that. And, and I just, I just, I hate we miss it. First Peter chapter, chapter 3, verse 7 says this. You husbands, that's us guys, in the same way live with your wives in an understanding way with someone weaker. Most of us are stronger than our wives. Since she is a woman and show her what? Honor. Honor. As a fellow heir of the grace of God so that your prayers will not be hindered. Do you know, guys, some of us, our prayers are hindered because we don't treat our wife like she deserves to be treated. That, 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 that's our, our prayers are hindered. I mean, it's just the way that it is. And so, again, God credit us differently. It's how we're to treat women. Now, we live in this culture that's anti-Christ and anti-biblical, right? Now, let me tell you the power of the culture. The power of the culture is, is that the masses, the masses feel pressure to conform. Does that make sense? I'll give you, I'll give you a great illustration. Tattoos. Not the little guy with the airplane. <laughs> I'm stuck on Nick at night. Not till no, no, no. If if you know the it's the it's the power of the 
the, the masses to, for us to conform to it. And so we are all in the culture, right? But does a fish know he's in the water? No. He doesn't know he's in the water until you take him out. And we're, we're so saturated with this culture, this society, that we don't realize that we're in it. And there's this huge power to conform. Like tattoos, when I was a kid, the only person, people that got tattoos were military guys. Right? Now everybody gets tattoos. Why? Nothing wrong with a tattoo. You want to get a tattoo? That's fine. That's no problem. I'm not getting one because they stab you a thousand times with the needle. <laughs> I'm not doing it. And so, and so why, does, why does everybody want a tattoo? Because everybody has a tattoo. It's a cultural pressure. Does that make sense? It's just how people dress, how they act, how they talk, what they do. All that stuff, there's this cultural pressure to conform. But the Bible says in Romans 12, 2, one of my all-time favorite verses, men, all of us, but especially men, do not be conformed to this what? This world, this system, this society, this culture. Don't conform to this cosmos, but be transformed by the renewing of your what? Mind. So we are not to be conformed. The word conform means to be pressed into a mold. It is whether it's under heat or whatever, you take and you conform something when it's stamped or when it's, you know, injection molding or whatever. It's conformed to its mold. And the Bible is clear that anybody saved in all of our, all of our campuses this week? Anybody saved? So this is the deal. Since we're saved, we are no longer to be pressed down into the mold of the world. We're not going to be conformed. We're not to let the pressure that the culture brings on the masses for us to conform. It says, do not be pressed in, do not be conformed, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And how do we renew our mind? We're by being filled with the Spirit, by walking in the Word of God. See, the Bible is not just something we learn, it's something we live. And we've entered into a generation in the church in America where the Bible is something that you learn so you'll have more information because we value information of everything else in a technology culture, right? So we, we value this information. The Bible is more than information. The Bible informs application. It's transformation that we will hear it, see it, and walk it out every day. The problem is that we're going against the grain. We're walking this way with Jesus, and the world is pummeling, it, pummeling us going the opposite direction. Broad is the way that leads to, leads to destruction, and narrow is the way that leads to life. And few, many are called, few are chosen. Few find their way they're in. Why do so many people reject Jesus? One of the reasons is because people sort of realize, man, if I give my heart to Jesus, I'm going to have to go against the flow. Does that make sense? I'm going to have to be different because those Christians, those Christ followers are weird. And if I become saved, I'll be weird. You will be. Because, see, if you don't conform to the culture, everybody will think you're weird. And so why does the church now, why have we fallen in love with the culture? Because we don't want anybody to think that we're weird. And so instead of being transformed, we become conformed to this world. And it's amazing, guys. And there are a lot of men. There'll be a couple thousand men this weekend at our campuses that, man, love God and are seeking. But it's amazing, guys. One minute you're worshiping God, the next minute you're hammering your wife. One minute, I mean, it's just how it goes. 
you know, one minute you're, you, you know, you're, you're going forward, you take a step forward, the next minute you take two back. One minute you get ahead financially, then it's braces or a car breaks down or air conditioning, and the next thing you know, man, you're, you're back behind the eight ball. You know, one minute you're striving to walk with God, and the next minute all hell breaks loose. You guys, does that make sense? And maybe that's why there's so few godly men. God was looking for him. And he spoke to the prophet Ezekiel to Ezekiel 22:30. And this is what he said. This the eyes God. I searched for a man among them. Talk about the whole nation of Israel who would build up a wall and stand in the gap. See again, Israel was going in the wrong direction. They were following, they'd begin to worship idols. They had turned away from the one true God. And he said, I'm looking for somebody who will build up a wall and who will stand in the gap before me for the land so that I would not destroy it. And what's that last phrase? But I found what? None. No one. God said, I looked across all of Israel. I found no one. I couldn't find a man who would stand up. That's a sad verse, isn't it? But in the name of Jesus, faith promised men, let's find some godly men in every campus. Amen. Let's find some men who are going to stand up and be men of God, who are going to walk it. Because what God was saying, God said, I'm looking for a man who will stand against the flow of this culture. I'm looking for a man who will be a man of integrity, a man of his word, a man of the word. I'm looking for men of courage who are not afraid to go against the flow. I'm looking for a man who will stand for me when everybody else is falling. I'm looking for a man who will defend the defenseless, who will care for the widow and the orphan and the poor. I'm looking for a man who will lay down his life for for his wife, the way Jesus laid down his life for the church. I'm looking for a man that will impart some spiritual truth to the next generation. That's the kind of men that God is looking for. And at Faith Promise, every week we have about 2,000 from 0 to 18 years of age. Many of those kids, those students, come without spiritual parents. They have a mom and dad, but they're not born again. And they need some parents, who, some spiritual parents, who are going to walk with them in Jesus' name, who are going to be small group leaders and care for them and be men. Man, come on. The reason that guys don't want to go to church is that we've wussified the church. Because we've let the culture in and we've tried to blur the lines. There's like there's no difference. There's a difference. And we've got to understand the difference. God's looking for a man who will unselfishly care for others and put others in front of himself. Faith promise that needs to be the heartbeat of the men of this church in Jesus' name. Y'all believe that? It's what we got to do. Come on. Let's raise up a generation of men who begin to understand what the Bible says that it means about being godly. So thinking about today, I, I began to peruse the Bible because there's a lot of strong men in the Bible, right? Man, we could have pulled Abraham or Moses. We could have pulled, you know, Ezekiel. We could have pulled all these guys. And then we could have pulled the best of the best, which was Jesus. But he's, he's a little hard to emulate. I mean, he did the fishes and the loaves deal. I mean, he's, you know, he's a little higher than everybody. So let's don't pick someone who's never blown it. Let's pick someone who's blown it and make us feel better. <laughs> Amen, guys. Come on. Trying to help you. And so, man, let's, let's pick the strongest man in the Bible. What was his name? Man, he was a he-man. He was a dude. 
He was the man. I mean, he was, you know, <laughs> he killed a thousand guys by himself with a jawbone that was laying on the ground. He was bad. Now, there's so many lessons to learn from Samson. I mean, there's so many things that we can pick up. But one of the greatest lessons that I learned, and, and if you've been through the Bible reading plan with us this year, you've already read the book of Judges where we find him. But one of the greatest things that, that I learned from the, the, the life of Samson is Samson never fulfilled his potential. And it is a bedrock principle. It is a passion that drives me, that gets me out of bed, that pushes me to keep going because I want to reach my potential. And as your pastor, I want you to reach your potential. And at Faith Promise, I want us to reach our redemptive potential as a body. And God is doing some radical things, man. We are stoked about it. And, but, but see, Samson, he, he could have made such an impact, but he did. He never achieved all that God wanted him to do. Now, he was a superhero, but I guess Superman had his kryptonite. Samson had his issues, didn't he? But God, don't all men have issues? And if you think you don't, just ask the woman who's sitting somewhere near you. <coughs> She'll help you with that. She doesn't have to be married to you. Is that ugly? I'm not sure. All right. We find the story in Judges chapter 13 through 16. Now, as we, you know, if you've ever been in church, you've heard about Samson. His victories were legendary. His strength was, was, was legendary, but his, his weaknesses were huge. Does that make sense? And so, he, and so he's going to be like Ray Rice. He did all these great things, but he's going to be known for his video reel with Delilah. He's going to be known for as a deliverer who was blinded by a hot poker and put in a prison to grind wheat for the people that God had called him to lead. Now, I want you to see something. If you're paying attention, say, I am. Men, who sabotaged Samson? Samson did. You got to get that. Nobody else sabotaged Samson. Samson sabotaged Samson. He was given one of the most unique sets of gifts and powers that anyone had ever been given from God, for God, for God's mission, for God's glory. He was called to be a deliverer and a judge of Israel. He was called to set Israel free from the bondage that they were under, under the Philistines. Because they, for 40 years they had been slaves under the Philistines, but because, but because of, of bad decisions, he was dashed and trashed and missed what he could have become. I love what Craig Rochelle said about him. I read a great book uh, probably last year that Craig wrote about Samson. He was an incredibly strong man with a dangerously weak will. Now let me ask you a question, guys. Has your will ever failed you? Absolutely. We've, we've, we've all failed. Now, what we have to understand, and I'm going to give you how Samson, what Samson could have done and not fallen. And he chose not to do in a minute. He said, but wait, wait a minute, Pastor. That's Samson. He was the strongest man that ever lived. That's not me. That's him. Listen, like Samson, God has called you 
God has gifted you. God has a mission for you to advance his kingdom and to build his church. God wants to use you in radical ways, and he has uniquely empowered and anointed and appointed and gifted you to do that. Just like Samson was anointed and appointed before he was in his mother's womb, as the angel told his mother, as God called her, then he was called to set Israel free from the Philistine rule. That's what was going on. Now, in context, Israel had sinned away their freedom. They were in a 40 to 80 year cyclical cycle of sin. Jo- Joshua died, and it says there were generations that rose after Joshua that did not know the Lord nor did not know the things of God. Now, faith promise God is rocking now, isn't he? He's doing a great work, but listen, there's another generation rising up within us right now, and it needs to be a generation who understands God and knows the mighty works of God, and they will only know it when we infuse it, when we impart it, when we energize, when we share, when we walk with them. We are called to raise up another generation and teach them how to praise God, how to read the Word of God, how to walk differently than this anti-Christian culture. Now, ladies, I don't understand this part, but we know his dad's name is Manoah, and we don't know his mother's name. I don't understand why. I thought I'd throw that out there to you. I looked, couldn't find it. Maybe you can. And in Judges, three through, in Judges 13, 3 through 5, then an angel of the Lord appeared to the woman, we don't know her name, the woman, and said to her, Behold now, you are barren and have borne no children, but you shall conceive and give birth to a son. Now, do you believe that this woman had been praying for a son? Absolutely. It was the desire of her heart. Because to have no son in this day meant that there was something, I mean, it was, it was a blight. It's, it's not today. We, we now understand a little more. Man, we pray for people who are struggling and want kids and can't have them. But, but she conceived and gave birth to a son. Now, therefore, be careful not to drink wine or strong drink, nor eat anything unclean, for now, this is not him, this is her. For behold, you shall conceive and give birth to a son, and no razor shall come upon his head. For the boy shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel from the hands of the Philistines. So the woman's just chilling out, an angel shows up. That's a great day, isn't it, ladies? It's a great day. The angel shows up. Says you're gonna have a son, he's dedicated to me, he's gonna be a Nazarite from the vow. Then, matter of fact, from now on, you're gonna fulfill the Nazarite vow. He's gonna be a Nazarite to me from his womb. She goes and tells her husband, Hey, an angel showed up, told me all this stuff. And and I, I love what her husband does in verse eight. He prays a prayer. And if you're a parent, I want you to check this out. Then Manoah, and we get we know his name. Manoah entreated the Lord and said, Oh Lord, Please let the man of God whom you have sent come to us again, that he may teach us what to do for the boy who is to be born. Now, that's homogenous if you're a parent. That is a wonderful prayer request. Parent, if you're a parent, you ought to be praying this. Send me the angel so that I will know, God, what you are calling these kids that you have given me to do and to be. What are you preparing your children for, mom and dad? Are you preparing your children for the kingdom of God or for this kingdom? Are you preparing your children for the word of God or for the world? Are you more concerned that they have success in this culture or success in the kingdom of God? Are you with me? Y'all out there? See, the culture is make sure they get a good education so they can get a good 
and make plenty of and take care of you and your old. And so that's the, that's the culture. That's what we do. And so, okay, we bring them to church, but more important is school. More important is, is athletics. More important are all these other things. Does that make sense? And so you need to be asking God, God, what did you, you gave me these kids. These are your kids. They're not my kids. Are you with me? If you have children, they're on loan. They're on loan. And as a steward of God, as a child of God, it is your job to steward those kids for God. Are you, are you, are you there? Raising our kids up, man, it's about the kingdom of God. It's about the church of God. You can do touchdowns. You can have great grades. Good. We're, hey, amen. But you are called to be used of God. Does that make sense? And so in Judges chapter 13, verse 13, the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, let the woman what? I've already told her once. Once. Not once. Once. I've already told her once what the child's going to be. I've already told her what she's doing and what the child's to do. Verse 14. He, he, he goes on. Because the child is set apart for God. So Samson is dedicated. Therefore, be careful not to cry or strive to recruit anything unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and give birth to a son, no razor. For the boy shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb. He is dedicated to God, dedicated to God. I mean, he is, he is consecrated, dedicated. Now, to understand what a Nazarite meant, because we don't have Nazarites running around today, do we? No. So, so there's a Nazarite vow. we got to roll back to Numbers chapter 6 and find out the three things that a Nazarite was to do. And the reason I'm giving you these three things is because I want you to see something. If you're listening, say I am. I am. Because the Nazarite went opposite to the culture. The Nazarene, you could see that dude coming a mile away. You could. So, in 6.2, speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, when a man or woman makes a special vow, the vow vow of a Nazarite, to dedicate himself to the Lord. He is dedicated, which means to consecrated or separated. It's really the same word that's called holy because holy means separated. In the book of Romans it said, there are some vessels for common use and some vessels for honorable use. When you were born again, you were created a vessel for honorable use for God. You're a holy nation. You're a priest and kings unto our God, says in 1 Peter, and you are now called. Are you with me? called, dedicated, separated, consecrated to be used by God. You say, oh, no, not me. I'm just, I'm just a regular person. If you're born again, then you have been set apart for God. Amen? You've been called by God to serve God. So there's three things. Number one, no alcohol. Verse 6, 3. That would, that would take many people out. No alcohol. Chapter 6, verse 3, it says that they're not to drink anything uh, uh, he shall abstain from wine and strong drink. He shall not drink no vinegar, whether made from wine or strong drink, nor anything, drink anything, grape juice, nor eat anything or fresh dried grapes. Because everybody in the culture drank wine. Everybody did. Right? I mean, everybody did. And so he was different because he didn't. There wasn't bottled water everywhere. And the water had stuff in it, so they would, they, man, they grew grapes, they, they, they put them in wineskins, and, and that's what they drank. But a Nazarite never touched it. Any kind of anything, grape juice, wine, nothing alcoholic of any kind. 
Why? Because he's set apart for God, and the world needs to know that he's set apart for God. Does that make sense? Like if somebody offers me a beer, a glass of wine, I say, no, thank you. Well, why don't you want it? Because I don't drink. Well, I guess you think drinking's a sin. No, I'm just set apart for God. I'm just set apart for God. Now, let me tell you, if, if, now many, what many of you are thinking, wait, my friends will think I'm crazy. I know. And we want to go with the culture because we want the world to like us. A lot of you drink wine because your friends drink. You don't get drunk. You have a glass of wine, whatever. But you know what? I always take an opportunity. I don't preach it. Man, I don't, I don't jump up and down and say, hey, I'm just set apart for God. I'm different. I, I, I just don't drink. Now, is there cultural pressure to drink? Yes. Every kind of place you go. So I just know when I walk in, people are going to offer me alcohol. I just, and I've had people say, well, I believe I can witness better if I could just be like them. I know. Can we just love the culture and be like it so that we don't stand out because people will think I'm weird? I know. Second commitment the Nazarite made, no haircut. No haircut. Now, when my boys were young, they wanted tattoos. I said, as long as you're in my house, you can't have one. You get adult, you move out, you can do whatever you want. You can do the deal. I said, but well, I'll tell you what you can do. You can do whatever you want to with your hair. I should bring pictures of high school, my boys. They let it grow to their back. They cut cul-de-sacs in it. They do faux hawks and mohawks. They did it. And the teachers would say, you know, your kids have weird hair. I said, I don't know, but they don't have tattoos. And so, because <laughs> it didn't matter. See, the Nazarites, no haircut. Number six, five, a razor shall not come all the days of his vow of separation, no, of separation from the culture. No razor shall pass over his head. He shall be what? Until the, until the days that his vows are fulfilled. Now, I want to tell you, back then, they didn't have a hair product. So if you're a Nazarite, you have the Troy Palomalu look. And I want to tell you this next thing is deeply spiritual. I have sought God heavily after this, and I believe the Lord has spoken. Samson did not have a mullet. Pretty convinced. Pretty convinced that there was no mullet. But see, they didn't, they, they didn't cut his hair, so you could see the guy coming a mile away. Dude, that's Troy Palomalu. No, no, that's a Nazarite. Wow, he looks different than everybody. I know. He stands out in a crowd. I know. Because people that are separated, separated out, consecrated and dedicated to God stand out in a crowd. And we don't want that. We don't want that. The number three, they will not touch anybody dead. Number six, six says that, that all the days of his separation to the Lord, he shall not go near a dead person. It didn't matter if his mom or dad. It didn't matter how close family was. And in that day, if your family died, there was a, you know, the family came together. They ceremonially washed the body. They anointed the body. They wrapped the body. And they buried the body. But if you were set apart for God, you were not to touch anybody or anything that was dead. And it set you apart. Because if you touched a dead person, you were ceremonially unclean. You, there's, you know, there's ceremonial cleanness and oh, there's different things in the Old Testament. And so, but you're ceremonially unclean. And so this is the, guys, let me ask you a question. What are you touching? Because we've been consecrated for God. We've been set apart for God and we shouldn't touch anything unclean. You remember Samson, a lion jumps out, spirit of God comes on him. 
He grabs, he grabs it, rips his jaws apart, throws him in a ditch. Comes a few days later, the animal is decaying, and there's honey in there. He just sticks his hand in and grabs the honey out. What was the vow? Don't touch anything dead. But he did it anyway. See, all three of these commitments, and I'm not asking you to make these commitments. I'm using these as a teaching because every Old Testament thing is a type or shadow for the New Testament. And so what we see by the separation, the consecration of the Nazarite is that we are to be separated and consecrated. We are to be different than this culture because we are set apart for God. All three commitments set people apart. See, the masses, the culture, want to force you, conform you, and make you walk in its mold. The question is, will we oppose the current culture for Jesus? Or will we walk the way they walk? Our first stand, and we've seen so many at Palisipi. We're going to have another boatload of baptisms this weekend in all of our services. And, and other campuses are too. The first thing that you do when you're saved is the first thing they did in Acts chapter 2. All these people were saved. They immediately went down to the river, and those, person, those people made a public profession to follow public enemy number one. The executed, resurrected Son of God, who was, I mean, number one on the FBI, 10 most wanted list, dead or alive. They tried to kill him. He came back alive. I love that. And so... <laughs> He comes back alive, and now these people are standing and putting on the clothes like you have seen in these services as people have gone public, and they put on the, the clothing of baptism. They've stood up for Jesus in a world, he says, there is no Jesus, there is no Christ. He never came out of the grave. Come on, you guys get with the program. When they did it in Acts chapter 2, their families would have a funeral for them. They lost their jobs. They were persecuted. Today, gang, we live in America where we can still worship freely, but there may be a day that you'll have to decide your job or Jesus, the world of the word. What are you going to do? And I tried to, tried to raise my kids, and I tried to lead this congregation that everybody that come here, all of us are clear on one thing. Jesus is Lord of all. Amen. Man, we're going to follow him. You say, but wait a minute, Pastor, again, I'm no Samson. I'm just not a Samson, man. Oh, yes, you are. You were called before the foundations of the world. You were gifted by the Spirit of God and marked and sealed by God. You are energized and equipped and empowered with spiritual gifts from God. God has a plan for you. God wants to use you. God wants to use you for his glory. God wants to use you to advance his kingdom. God wants to use you to raise up another generation. You have weapons that God has given you, and God has called you to fight some battles against hell and this culture. Like Samson, though, we all have weaknesses, don't we? All of us. Now, let me tell you, Samson's greatest mistake. Are you ready, men? Are you, all the men, if you're men are listening, Sam. I am. Let me tell you, Samson's greatest error. He went solo. Read all. Read 13, 14, 15, and 16. He never listened to anyone. He never sought anyone's advice. He never sought anyone's counsel. He never let anyone in. He was angry and defensive and reactionary and did whatever he wanted to, whenever he wanted to do it, regardless of what anybody thought. Does that make sense? Had he had a small group of men around him, maybe it wouldn't have happened. I'd share with our men Friday night, if I was to fall, and dear God, let it never happen, but if I was to fall, I'd have to fight some men to fall around here. 
I'd have to fight my sons. I mean, I'd have to fight my sons. I'd have to fight Josh Whitehead and Chuck Carringer. I'd have to fight our elders. I've, man, I have got so many godly, strong men that are around me that walk with me. Amen. Come on. Man, that I'm accountable to and they ask me and we talk. And, and, and man, this, it, listen, he went solo. He didn't have a small group. He didn't have men around him. He didn't have men that he could walk with. I, three or four years ago, there, every year, some of you guys know me and a bunch of my friends are from church, we go to this big Corvette show. And I was up there, and I saw a 1965 red convertible, bow tops, four-speed, 327 convertible. Did I say it was a 66? It's what Jesus would have driven had he been here. <laughs> I saw it on the hillside, and I just felt the Spirit of God say, go buy that car. So I'm, I'm looking at it. I'm telling the guys, I'm saying, I'm going to go buy that car. And they all said, are you going to call Michelle? And I said, why would I call Michelle? It's my car. And they said, are you sure? I said, well, why would it be? That's crazy. So I bought the car, took it home, drove up. Michelle said, why didn't you call me? And I said, oh, I probably should listen to my friends. Now, she wouldn't have cared. She just would have loved for me to say, hey, I'm, I'm buying a car I want to bring home. She said, great. She would have never fought that. She, I mean, man, there's, there's no nag. There's nothing, man. She's one of the most amazing women on the planet. And she said, that's great. That's, that's awesome. That's what she would have done. But because I showed up with it, I said, it's our car. She said, no, that's your car, big dog. That's your car. <laughs> so, see, God, God designed men to be around some other men who will smack them every now and then in Jesus' name. Are you with me? All of us need to be smacked every now and then. And so, man, we, and, and so I want to challenge you. Man, if you're not in a small group, get in a small group. And let me tell you what's happening. You're, some of you, your heart's beating a little quicker because you want that kind of fellowship. You're wired to have that kind of fellowship, but you don't. So if you're not in a group, get in a group. If you're in a group, a co-ed group, I want to challenge you to once a month to break out men and women in two parts of the house. Our men meet at Cracker Barrel at 6 o'clock in the morning, have breakfast, you know, and man, talk about, open the Word of God together, challenge each other, and hold each other accountable. Build around you some protection, and you won't be like Samson and step all up into stupid because guys around you were saying, hey, don't do this. Does that make sense? And so I want to challenge, man, we have, we have, we're pushing, I don't know, close to 300 adult groups, and most of those are co-ed, man. Come on, guys. Get in there. Get surrounded by some guys. I, I am so grateful for the men in my life who challenged me. Y'all you know what I'm talking about? So come on. And so, man, let's, let's do this deal. Guys, I know you want it. We all want it, don't we? Spirit of God, would you move on the heart of every man? Would you infuse? Would you fill? Would you give every man, two or three or four guys, a foxhole, foxhole fellowship that they can walk together and live together that are, and, and do life together, God? Would you protect the men from the devil who wants to come? That each of our, our, our shields of faith would be the rear guard for our brothers. God, I pray you'll raise up a generation of men who are spirit-filled warriors, afraid of nothing but heaven, and who are not afraid to be different, who are not afraid to go against the culture, who will stand for Jesus 
in a world who's bowing to everything. Raise up those men in Jesus' name and all God's people said. Come on, somebody give God some praise. Woo! Now, some of you guys have never turned your heart over to Jesus. You've never opened opened it up because you're a man and you're self-reliant. About 60% of people who come to church are women. Seems it's easier for women to humble themselves before the Lord than it is men. Because we men don't want to humble ourselves before anybody, do we? But if you're ready to humble yourself, if you realize you've sinned and you're ready to have a relationship with Jesus, with every head bowed, every eye closed, just pray this prayer. We're going to pray it with you out loud. Say, Dear Jesus, I know I've sinned. Forgive me. I'll humble myself. I put my faith in you. You died for me. You rose from the grave, and now I will live for you. Help me to go against the flow, walking by faith and honoring you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Give him some praise. All right. Now, next weekend we talk about the, how men and women relate to each other. It's not a marriage deal. It's just how men and women relate. There'll be some campus pastors down front if you need to pray with anybody. If you pray that prayer with me, or you need something else, a group, or our Next Steps class, or you want to go out, sign up for Starting Point Small Group out there in our Next Step area, whatever you need, you can put it in our communication card. Put those in the offering box. Hey, listen, is God doing something at Faith Promise? Be back next week. We'll see you guys. Be blessed.